Let's turn over to Colossians in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 4. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, and to all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, and so on. I suppose most of us, when we draw near together to pray, when we go on our knees, or when we're standing in prayer like this, we're always afraid, what should we pray for? One thing that we must always pray for is other people. And we must pray at home for ourselves. We must never stop praying for others especially. You know, there's a danger that when we are praying for our loved ones to be converted, for people in the community to be turned to Christ, that once they are converted, that we sort of leave off the praying, that we tend to sort of from then on, ease off a bit and say, well, they're okay, they're in the kingdom, they're saved, and that's it. That's the most important thing. Now, Paul, he seems to have a totally different view. He says that once these people are converted, that's when you really continue to pray with as much strength as you can. That's what he says there in verse 9, isn't it? For this cause... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. For what cause? Well, he's been telling us why since verse 3. Because he's giving thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ, of the love which you have to all the saints, and so on. Paul has heard that these Colossians are not only converted, but they have faith in Christ that is made known throughout the land. They have a love for the saints that is quite remarkable. People are speaking about it. Now if you were going to meet someone who could be described in these verses 3 to 8, you might have said, well there's one person that we don't need to pray for. Somebody who has known Christ. Somebody who has faith in Christ who has love for the saints, who has a hope for heaven, who has a love for the word of truth, who is bringing forth fruit, and so on. And they have a love in the spirit in verse 8. If you make someone like that, you might just be tempted to say, well, they don't need our prayers. But Paul says, we also, since the day we heard it, don't cease to pray for you. We keep on praying. And he gives us a description of prayer. And it would be just lovely if all of us 
who are gathered here tonight would pray for one another as churches and as individuals this kind of prayer what's he asking for it's very interesting we have a description of many of Paul's prayers and of the Lord's prayers in the New Testament and we should use these to pattern our prayers now what's he asking for well first of all it's that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding he wants them to have knowledge knowledge in particular of God's will God's purpose I wonder if we would all be willing to confess just how little we know of God's will surely there wouldn't be anyone who would <coughs> dare to stand up or to even say in their hearts I know as much of God's will as I need to for my life here on earth could it be that the, the evil one perhaps has crept into any heart and just said, you're all right, you know enough, don't go overboard, don't be a fanatic, don't try yourself on and on, don't. But ah, the Lord says that we must continue to get to know him, to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding to know God's will that's a lifetime of study to know what God wants you to do how perhaps we have trivialized guidance with the books that come out on it sometimes that make things so succinct as if it only refers to people who are going to be missionaries, people who are going to be married and so on. As if it's only certain things that we need to know God's will for, that we can live the rest of our lives in conformity to the world. But no, to know how God wants us to live all the time, that's knowing God's will. But not just to know it, but to know it with wisdom, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. You know, when you have wisdom, you have that kind of settled frame of mind where you've come to know in a very wise way. It's not just a knowledge that's come to your attention and is buzzing around in your mind like a, one of the, these things that we, we say they're our hobby horses. That's not wisdom. This kind of knowledge is a knowledge that's settled down into your mind and has become part of your way of thinking and has become part of fearing God. Knowledge blended with that wisdom. Christ himself, he grew in that wisdom. He grew in wisdom, so we must be Christ-like, then we must be wise in our knowledge. Stephen, that wonderful man, filled with the Holy Spirit he was, and we're told that he had wisdom. Wisdom. That was marked out 
Because you see, not every Christian is a wise Christian. Just as not every Christian has much knowledge, then it's also true that even those who have more knowledge than others, that does not necessarily make them wiser. We've got to pray that we would grow in knowledge of God's will in all wisdom so that it settles and becomes part of our thinking but also in spiritual understanding understanding is where you take this wisdom and you apply it to the various situations in life you gain the knowledge of God's will it becomes part of your wise way of thinking and then in understanding you're able to apply it to the various situations that you come up with in day-to-day life. That's something we must pray for, isn't it? How much we've heard since we were little, most of us having grown up in reformed backgrounds, sermon after sermon, reading books from when we were toddlers. Well, here we are. We've learned much, I'm sure. But are we able to say we understand it spiritually? Are we able to apply it to each situation that we come up with, come up against? Christ himself, at the age of 12, the age of 12, the teachers in the temple were amazed at his understanding. Not just at his knowledge, but how he was able to apply this knowledge as a boy of 12 to life. That's what amazed him. It wasn't part of fashion learning. It was learning that they could apply to life. And it's spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? Because you can't earn it. You can only receive it. You can never get it from universities, not even from theological colleges, not even from books. This is spiritual work. And if it's spiritual work, then the Spirit must be the driving force behind it. And he must also be the one that enables us to receive what has come to us. Spiritual work. You know, at the very center of God's will, what do we find? Christ. That's the very center of God's will. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him. We can learn, as we've so often heard from people, all about the tempest of the tabernacle. We can learn about all the little fine details here and there in the scripture. And I don't think we should despise that. All these things were written for our learning. But what we should learn of more than anything is how the whole will of God focuses in on Christ and then focuses out from Christ to the whole universe. 
That's what we must learn. That's what our knowledge must consist of. Everything we're learning, relating it to Christ in a wise way, in a very understanding way. And we can only do it with the help and the aid of God's Spirit. He must open our understanding just as he opened the understanding of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So we must pray for knowledge. <coughs> knowledge of God's will. Do you do it? Could we drive this home in any way to our own hearts? Do we actually pray for an increase in knowledge of God's will. How much did it figure in your prayers this week? Has God's will been important? Is it something you want to know more about? Or have you perhaps backslid and it's so easy for all of us to come down to a level where we don't feel the need to rise. Knowledge. The second thing he prays for follows on from that, and that's transformation of character. He wants this knowledge of God's will. Why? Well, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Why should we grow in knowledge? It's so that we can boast. So we can be good in argument. So that we can dumbfound the world with our wisdom. No. <laughs> there may be some people and they're saying that they would wish to see a greater transformation in their own lives. They're quite aware that they're spiritually at a low end. And that they're far, far from being Christ-like. And they would love to be more transformed than they are. Well, could it be that partly the reason for your low spiritual state is that you simply haven't been praying that you would know God's will the way you should have been? When you do have that knowledge of God's will increasingly, there will be a transformation of character. This is what he says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and to all please. Get to know God's will. Why? Is it so that you can say, well, I'll live up to the standard of the community in which I live? Or, I'll grow in the knowledge of God's will so that I'll be able to live to the standard of the church in which I worship. Or some people would say, what I would like really is just to be as holy as I am able to be. But even that isn't enough. We must walk worthy of the Lord. He is our standard. Not the world, obviously. Not even the believers, not even the best believer in the church is to be our standard. He can be our example, but not our standard. 
our standard and our goal is to walk worthy of the Lord himself. Christ, his passion, he is the one that we are to walk worthy of. Not just to imitate him, but to walk worthy of him. You know, there's a difference there. You can imitate a fool, but you can't walk worthy of a fool. It's not just imitating Christ. It's realizing that Christ is someone who is worth you following. He is worth you change your whole lifestyle to be like him. All our lives. It's difficult though. It's difficult to walk worthy of the Lord in all pleasing. There are some, and I'm sure we all fall into the same trap. We want to walk worthy of the Lord so that we can be satisfied. So we can feel at the end of the day, we can write in our diaries, I did it. Today I never sinned that sin. Today I managed to keep my goal. But could we write in the same diary, today I lived to please Christ. I lived to please Him. That's much more difficult. We can live to please the minister, the elders. We can live to please the world. To please our families. To please our mother, father. But that's worth nothing in the eyes of the Lord. It's living and walking worthy of Him in all pleasing. That's difficult. To do it in everything. All pleasing. As one of the other versions puts it. In every way to please. In every way to please. What will be the consequences of knowing God's will and then walking worthy of the Lord into all pleasing? four things that we'll look at very briefly. First of all, there will be fruitfulness. Being fruitful in every good work. That's what we've been called to. We've been ordained that we might bring forth fruit. Whoever is a Christian here tonight, you are to bear fruit for the Lord. It's a process. It's not something that happens automatically. It's something that is a process. But you are to bear fruit so that you be useful in the eyes of the Lord and in the kingdom of Christ. Usefulness is fruitfulness. If you're content to be doing nothing, if you're content not to be doing work for the Lord, Whatever way, and we don't mean just ministry of the word or being an elder or a deacon. We mean every work that you do, that it would be a good 
work for the Lord, that it will be useful in His eyes, that will be glorifying to Him. That's the kind of fruitfulness that will flow from our knowledge of His will that we use to walk worthy of the Lord to please Him. Fruitfulness. But then secondly, knowledge of God. Now you might say, well, it's not just repetition that we're asking the Lord to fill us with a knowledge of His will so that we might have a knowledge of God. But do you notice the difference? In the first place, you're asking to know God's will. In the second place, it's so that you would know God Himself. Increase in the knowledge of God. It's not just a matter, you see, of knowing His will. It's knowing His will so that you can live a pleasing life increasing in the knowledge of Him. Isn't that what eternal life is? Isn't this what our life is supposed to be? Not just living by a set of rules. Not even being able to remember the Bible and regurgitate that. It's increasing in the knowledge of God. It's this fellowship where you're actually growing and your God is increasing in stature before you because you're gaining knowledge about Him and you're having communion with Him. Is this the kind of God that you and I have? Have you increased, not just in the knowledge of God's will, but in the knowledge of God as a passion? Those who are married, when they get married first of all, they know one another to some degree. For 20, 30, 40 years on, they know one another so much deeper. They've increased in the knowledge of one another and the relationship deepens. Is that what has happened to us? Of course, we will never arrive. We will never feel that we know God enough. So don't despair tonight, my friend, if you feel discouraged. It might be one of the most lovely things in your heart tonight that you're so unsatisfied with your knowledge of God. Pity the poor person who feels he has learned enough of him. Because the more you learn of God, the more you realize it's just like a vast ocean that you've just tasted of. And all eternity will never bring you to fully exhaust knowledge of God. The third consequence will be strength. You'll be strengthened with all might. That's what is wanting in prayer. To know the will of God. So that you'll walk worthy of the Lord to all places. Why? Will you be strengthened with all might? Have you ever tried, I'm sure you have, 
to please God. Have you found it easy? Have you tried to be fruitful in every good work? Has it been easy? You see, if you don't try, you'll never reach the end and the limit of your strength. If you don't try to be perfect, you'll never feel your own weakness. But when your goal is to walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, then you will soon reach the very limits of your strength and you'll cry out to the Lord, strengthen me more, strengthen me more. And that's what Paul says here, you will have that strength. That's what we pray for, that you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. We mustn't, you see, measure our resources to live a God-pleasing life by anything other than the infinite power of God. We mustn't say we can only do so much to please God and beyond that, by nature, I have to let go. I have to sin. We must never say these things. We all do, I know. What we should say is, the Lord will give me grace that is sufficient and strength that is in accordance with His own power, sufficient for me to live a holy life, to please Him. Now He'll do it. Do you think that somehow you please God by your own strength? It cannot be. That's burning God. That's saying to God you don't need Him. But what God says is, pray to me. Ask me for the strength. With all my according to my glorious power, then you will live a life worthy of the Lord. And it's very interesting, that word strengthened, in the Greek it's a, a present. It's not as if the Lord gives you a burst of strength at the beginning of your Christian life and then you keep on going. It's that the Lord is continually making his input into your spiritual life. Day by day, His faithfulness is there, His compassion fail not. The joy of the Lord is always our strength. He is there. He is there. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's not His mere presence. That's the promise of power to conquer in His name. So he'll give us all the strength to live for him. And he'll give it continually in response to prayer. And if we have that power, you see, 
we will have three things patience long suffering and joy it's patience that's where you're able to persevere to endure to persist you're endeavoring you know you haven't arrived but you keep on enduring how are you enduring perhaps some of you have trials and difficulties tonight how are you coping it's not by your strength I hope it's because of his infinite power that's giving you that patience that endurance but also long suffering long suffering is what you have in the face of provocation when you don't retaliate but you suffer long you've put up with things for long when somebody speaks bitter words to you as a young Christian you're tempted just to blast back if somebody hits you you're sometimes tempted just to hit back but that's not long suffering when we're living in our own strength you see bitter words will come out of our mouth so quickly but if we're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power then we will have long suffering we'll be able to say with Christ perhaps Father forgive them for they know not what to do Stephen at the same and also we will have joyfulness you can see some people they're enduring they're not retaliating but are they joyful it takes considerable strength to be joyful while you're enduring while you're suffering long one thing to be able to persevere with a long face with no joy in your heart as a matter of duty it's quite another matter to endure to have long suffering with joyfulness that requires God's strength God's strength the fourth thing is thanksgiving of course giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life it's not perhaps a most beautiful thing thankfulness do you pray for the spirit of thankfulness the spirit of thanksgiving do you long that in your heart there will be that wonderful sense of gratefulness for all that God has done for you in Christ that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life well my friend if you want to have that gratefulness pray for it pray for it because it will only come as you grow in knowledge of his will and begin to walk worthy of the Lord and to all please there's a whole 
series of great teachings and the verses that follow from there that we'll have to leave it there for the moment. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord our God, we that thou art one who has said in the Bible, ye have not, because ye ask not. Oh, forgive our foolishness and our blindness, that we haven't always seen the goal the way we should, that we have been too content to live in the spiritual shadows. Grant us, Lord, to truly have us our aim to walk worthy of the Lord and to all please, to be conformed unto the image of Christ. We thank thee, Lord, that thy Holy Spirit, who was given to us and our regeneration, is one who breathes within us a desire for sanctification. We pray, Lord, that Thou give us then to be spiritually minded, to have our minds set on the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. Watch over us, Lord, we pray. Bless our congregations. We thank the Lord for the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. Grant, Lord, to bless thy word as it goes forth. Every Lord's day and every prayer meet that it may be accomplishing a transformation in our character that will be pleasing to thee. Hear us and watch over us, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.